it's always a joy to be able to share God's word with whatever audience I find myself in. But particularly, I, I enjoy uh, sharing it in the context of home. And uh, it's always good to, to be home and preaching with people who, who I know and love and, and just, you know, seeing something uh, good happen um, amongst a local crowd. You know, we thank God for what he's doing around the world. And he's doing some amazing things around the world. And he's also doing some great things here in the United Kingdom. But we continue to trust him to do something great in our little corner of God's great, great earth. Amen. We believe in that across this area, this M1 corridor, that God's going to continue to breathe upon us. Not just us, but on the other churches that preach Jesus Christ too. We're going to continue with our Essentials series and over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a number of things. We've been encouraging you to know God. We've been encouraging you to find freedom. And today, we're going to be talking about the whole sense of discovering our purpose. I don't know about you, but I... They have no sense of where they're going for. I'm intrigued by young people at this particular moment. I'm not talking about finding out your career path. I'm finding out that sense of what am I here for? What am I meant to be doing? There's lots of people of all ages who have no idea and they're still trying to find themselves. You've got 50, 60-year-olds, hippie kind of people who are still going to this place and that place to try and find the true meaning of life. Of those who attend church in the U.S. of A, have no idea what they are called to do. 87%. If you're here tonight, and you're a Christ follower, and you're one of the not sure what I'm meant to do, I want you to listen up, because the whole idea, the whole thought tonight is going to help you to discover your purpose, to try and lead you into that next step. It might be that you're not a Christ follower and you're trying to make sense of your life. You're trying to understand what life is really all about. Then certainly I want you to listen up because I really believe that God has a purpose for every one of our lives. And God wants to do something amazing in every single one of us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You know, when we look at this thought of purpose... You know, I, there's a guy at the moment who's, who's quite well known. He's, he seems to be hitting the media uh, at the moment by the name of Justin Bieber. Anybody heard of Justin Bieber? There's a few young people here. Okay, well, Justin Bieber has released a new album, and actually the title of that album is called Purpose. And one of the songs of the album is actually called Purpose. And here he is, a man, a young man, who's singing about the purpose that he's found. And I don't want to really make too many comments, but all I did, I read the lyrics of that song. And he talks about how Jesus came to wash away his sins and how he's found a sense of purpose. What I'm intrigued by that is that that song has gone viral around the world. There are many, many millions of people who've associated with that song. Why? Because he's talking about purpose. And it's the very thing that many people, most people lack in the world today. For those who aren't familiar with uh, Justin Bieber, you might be familiar with Helen Keller. Helen Keller was an amazing, amazing author. 
uh, a, a blind author who was, just had the ability to write poems and write books. And she said this, true happiness is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Every single one of us wants to feel like we understand what we're here to do. You know, we're not here to just exist. Do you know that? We're not here to just exist. It's not just we get three score years and 10, 70 years, and then that's the end of it. There's got to be more to life than that. There has to be more to life than that. And I love what it says in Ephesians in chapter 2. And we get a little bit of an insight into this whole thought of purpose. Because this is what it says. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, For we are, are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody say good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see here God is saying that we are his workmanship through the Bible. Paul is writing to this church at Ephesus in the same. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We are his creation. He has created it. We are the, the absolute pinnacle of all of creation. We see in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and he created the vegetation and the animals, it was good. But when he came to mankind, he said, oh, about mankind, you are very good. And when God created us, he created us as his workmanship, as his handiwork. But it wasn't just that we would just exist, that we would just fill the earth. No, what does it say? That we were created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. In other words, God created us on purpose. God created us with a purpose. And those who have found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and again, I I have to just put it out there. There are many, many people that I've come across, dare I say hundreds, maybe thousands of people who certainly have had an experience of God and they've bowed their knee to Jesus and asked him to come into their life, but that's as far as it's gone. And actually, they know they've got the ticket to heaven. They know that if there was to die, that is, they'll get there. But actually, God is wanting to say to us here, and you might be one of those who's lived your life like that, that God says to every one of us, you are my workmanship, and I've created good works in advance for you to do. There is a purpose for which I saved, saved you. The phrase is this, we've been saved for a purpose. We've been saved for a purpose. Every single one of us. I want to say this church was birthed not out of sense of, well, we've got nothing else to do. We just want to kill another evening. Come on, elder boys. Come on, the elders, the leaders. We'll just, we'll have a go. We've got nothing better to do. We don't want to watch Antiques Roadshow and whatever else is on the telly. No, that wasn't why it was birthed. This church was birthed out of a sense of purpose. Wanting to bring purpose to a town. Wanting to bring purpose to individuals. Want to bring purpose to individuals. Want to bring purpose to young people. Want to bring purpose to those who are at the latter stages of their life, believing that even at their latter stages, they can find a sense of purpose in Jesus. We've been created. We are his handiwork, and we've been saved for a purpose. 
But you may say, Christian, that's all cool. That's fine. But I've been on this journey a few years. And the reality is, I still don't know what I'm meant to be doing. I've had many people who've said that to me. I want you to stay with me. Because there's three things that I want to just share this evening that's going to lead us into our growth track, which I'll mention during the course of my message, that I believe is setting us up to win. Paul said to me as we came in, this is really just setting us up to, to win, that kind of phrase. It is. These messages are there designed to set you up to win. They're taking us from the next step. We want people to know God. We want you to have an experience of Jesus Christ. We want you to really know God. Really know him. We want you to have a sense of finding freedom. That you're liberated and you're free. We want you to discover your purpose. What has God called me to do? And then we want to go and make a difference in Jesus' name. I want to tell you, those kinds of people are exciting to be around. Because loads of people have no idea what they're meant to be doing. So there's three things that I want to say. But first of all, I want to read from Ephesians in chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading from the contemporary version of the message, just because it really just nails what I'm wanting to share this evening. And it reads there, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Let me just stop there. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before We first heard of Christ and got our hopes up. He had his eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. There are three questions that I want to ask every single one of us this evening. And there are three statements that I'm going to be making when I ask the question. But before we get to the questions and the statements... I want to just nail something down from these verses, if we can just go back to the first part of it. Because it talks about us how we are to know who we are and what we're living for, and he had his designs on us for glorious living. But I want you to understand the first three words of verse 11. Let's read them together, the first three words. It's in Christ. We can do better than that. Let's go again over this side. It's in Christ. Have you got it? You see, when we're in Christ, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when Jesus has impacted our lives, I'm not talking about religion. Religion is rubbish, if I can say that. It's just, it's just a nonsense. Rigmarole and ritual and all those kinds of things. I'm talking about a living relationship with Jesus. When we come into a living relationship with Jesus, when we've had our lives changed, when we know that we were once a sinner, Listen to me, every single one of us, every single one of us have got nothing to shout about in this place. Even the good and great amongst you, even those who have lived a really moral life, you've got nothing to shout about. It's all worthless. That's what the Bible says, like filthy rags before God. Every one of us have been, every one of us are sinners. But I want to say his amazing grace has been poured out upon mankind. There's a way of escape. And that way of escape is by embracing this message of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for a sense of direction, if you're looking for just the answers to life, if you're confused, if you feel fearful, if you feel intimidated, if you feel disappointed, all these kinds of emotions that wash over all of us. I honestly don't know how people get on outside of Christ. 
I'd meet some really, really good people. We've got some great neighbors and some great friends who are not Christ followers and they live really great lives. But I wonder how they really get on in life outside of Christ. Because the Bible's very clear. In Christ, great things begin to happen. And it's only in Christ that we begin to understand who we are, what we're meant to be doing, and we be in position for blessing. You see, for me, Jesus is the sum total of everything. Jesus is the first. He is the start. He's the finish of our lives. I want to say this, life just doesn't make sense without Jesus. Can I hear anybody just give me some encouragement? It just doesn't make sense. Nothing satisfies Nothing lasts, nothing heals, nothing makes sense other than Jesus. So it's important to understand even as we talk about discovering our purpose, that it's all in Christ. This is not a methodology. This is not something that's prescriptive. It's in Jesus Christ. We begin to find out three things. First of all, who we are. Secondly, what I'm meant to be doing. And thirdly, how to live happily. And joyfully. So there are three questions that I want to ask each and every one of us that I want to pose to you. And this evening, I'm just going to pause after when it comes up on the screen. Because I want you to really think about this. So the first question I want to ask you is this. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You may say, well, I'm Joe Bloggs. I live at 58, you know, Nougat Lane, Mansfield, and my telephone number is 07 da 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 da, and my date of birth is da 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 da, and I'm born to da 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 da. No, I'm not on about those kinds, I'm just on about who are you? Who am I? Who am I? I really believe that every single one of us have been uniquely chosen. Every single one of us have been uniquely chosen. Listen to me, your mum and dad might not have wanted you. You might have been one of those who just were not wanted. I want to say God wanted you. God loves you. God loves you with a passion. Again, I'm amazed when, I'm, when, I'm, when I talk with young people. I love, me, I love talking with young people. I love being around young people. I love being around older people as well. But I, 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 there's something about young people that's just a life of vitality. Wouldn't you agree, those who are getting on a bit? Yeah, you're getting on a bit. I didn't, see, I get more reaction when you, you know... One thing I'm I'm amazed is is oftentimes, and certainly when I used to go into schools and do a lot of schools, which which feels like a million years ago now, I'd have kids come up to me during lunchtime roadshows that I used to run many, many years ago, grappling with this question, who am I? Because all they've ever been told is that they weren't wanted. All they were ever told is that they were useless. All they were ever told was, you know, you were really a mistake. And I used to have great glee and great joy just actually saying to them, listen to me, whatever your mum and dad said, whatever your grand and grand, granddad said, whatever the school teachers are saying to you, I don't care who, whatever your peers are saying to you, I want to tell you, you are uniquely chosen. You, you know, there's something special about you. And some people, you just, you have to be careful with how you said that, particularly if you were talking to young girls, you know. But even some young guys, you know, who are, you know, tough and rough and you just say to them, listen, you are uniquely chosen. And then I'd go on to say to them, you know, the reason why I say that is because it reads about in the book of Genesis, 
it says there that God created man in his own image. Genesis, if we can just get it out there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. We are created in the image of God. You know, some of you want to be taller. You're fed up with being small. You'd love to have a few inches taller, particularly some of you guys who just, you know, are next to you, your wives or your girlfriends who are taller than you. I'm not looking anywhere at the moment. But, you know, you just, you'd just love to have a few more inches of height. Or some of you ladies, you'd just love to not have these stubby legs that you say about yourself and these long, slender legs and all the rest. Let me say to you, God has uniquely chosen you. You are created in the image of God. You are. You are uniquely chosen. You are uniquely created. God loves you just the way you are. I do get fed up with all the kind of magazine jargon that goes on out there and how we should look and all the rest of it. It's all nonsense. I'm not saying we shouldn't look after ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't dye our hair. And by the way, I do not dye this hair, okay? And it's not a wig either, okay? This is my own hair here. You know, I'm not against those things. I'm not against women wearing makeup. I'm not against people, you know, men's having moisturizing creams. And I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not against going to the gym. I'm not against any of those things at all. All I am against is when we're beginning to try and change ourselves because we think that that's the way that will improve ourselves. And that's complete rubbish. Because God says we're uniquely chosen. We are created in the image, in the image of God. He then goes on to say in Psalm 139 verse 14, and you know these verses for those who have been around church for a little while. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not to the neighbor next to you and say, do you know what? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Go and do it. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? It means all I can say is when God looks at you, he goes, wow. Wow. And many of you, when you look in the mirror, you go, ugh. And God says, wow. God says, wow. And listen to me. Prophetically, I'm just speaking over this group of people. We've got to start entering into that, understanding that revelation of we know who we are in God. And that only comes out of spending time in his presence. As we spend time with him, all the junk of our past begins to just you know, vanish and, 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 and become nothing. And God's word begins to strengthen us on the inside, and we become full of confidence in who we are. I'm not talking about arrogance. Full of confidence in who we are. Listen, you are special. You are uniquely chosen. You are uniquely created. When God looks at you, he goes, wow. You're exactly as I wanted you to be. While I'm on this particular point, I just want to make this statement very quickly. Because I think they're connected with who I am, who, who am I. As I said, many people have been spoken over by who they are. So they've had statements like, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're pathetic. You're a loser. You're an idiot. 
even this morning as I was sharing this, I had one person just come and speak to me about some things that have been said over them. Heartbreaking stuff. Just things that they believe. Just things that they believe. And they've carried it through their lives. They just believe that to be true. There's an American preacher who said this, and particularly for those who've got children and grandchildren. He says, if you don't tell your kids who they are, someone else will. Have you got that? If you don't tell your kids who they are, or your grandkids who they are, or even those kids on that street who might be kicking the ball against your fence, and might be creating mayhem, but the reality is many of them have probably never had anything spoken positively over them. So we need to be people who say something good. Kids in this church, instead of them saying, well, pull that table tennis back down and you get walloped by the table tennis because they're not playing it properly or balls are flying everywhere. Let's be people who speak well of our kids and prophesy goodness into their future. Because we need to be people who tell them who they are. Because if we don't tell them, someone else will. And psychologists tell us, for every negative word, you need six or ten, six to ten encouraging words to de- only diffuse the negative word. Just pause for a moment. That would be true. I can remember still many negative words that people, as soon as I've just paused there, there's words that people have said to me over the years. Employers, people I've worked with, people I've known, or I've just been walking by and they didn't want me to hear it, but they've said something. And I still can remember it. I'm not carrying it, but I still can remember it. Let's be people who speak well over people and tell them who they are because we are uniquely chosen and uniquely created. Secondly, let me move on. We are not only uniquely chosen and uniquely created, but the second question I want to ask is this. From what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he also goes on to say, if we can have this, yeah, what, are, what am I meant to do? So not just who I am, but what am I meant to do? What am I meant to do? What does my life consist of? What is my life all about? Where am I going? Where am I heading? Where is my sense of purpose? I want to say this. In defense of this question, you are uniquely purposed. Because it's in Christ we find out what we are living for. It's only when we come to Jesus, when we're in Jesus, that we actually begin to understand what we are created for. There are many people who are living for the weekend. They get the salary. You know, they, they, particularly if they're on weekly pay. There was an industry that I was involved in and we used to have people who would literally have all the money, hundreds of pounds, Friday night, and then come Monday, Tuesday, they'd have no money left at all because they've just been what? They've been shoving it back down their throats. That's what they've been living for. That's what they've been living for. There's other people who live for the Wednesday night. Is it Wednesday night lottery? You sell how how, how up I am. Is it Wednesday night and Saturdays they do the lottery? Nobody's daring to say anything because it's like, oh, I don't know, but you know. Some people are living for the lottery. Wednesday night, draw. Saturday, draw. Living for the lottery. Some people are living for the football. Other people living for the careers. Lots of people, the things that they're living for. I'm not sure any of those really give us any sense of purpose. There are two important days, I believe. The day when we were born, 
and the day we, were, we discovered what we were born for. And part of this series, this essential series, is to try and help you to understand and discern what you were born for. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Again, nudge the neighbor next to you said he's given you a gift. You're very quiet tonight. God has given you a gift. Look at it again. God has given each of you a gift. You, a gift. You, a gift. You at the back. You at the side. You in the middle. You at the front. God has given you a gift. Some of you have been given many gifts. I look at some people who are hugely talented in Arena Church. I mean, I'm just looking at you and think, wow, you are amazing. You really are. I mean, look at Glennis. She's not only a great kids worker, a great, you know, retail manager, but she's also brilliant at accents. <laughs> For those who were here last week. Why, I man. Okay. And what can I say about Joanna, Nathan's girlfriend? I mean, she's just, she, uh, I, my understanding is she can even take me off. I haven't seen her yet. She's not dared to do it, but she said, I've heard it's a good one. She takes me off. There's many, many gifts that people have, and each of you have been given a gift. And if I can get passionate at this point, this is part of the problem. Because you've been told you have no gifts, and it is a lie from the enemy. You have a gift. You have a contribution to make. You are blessed. You are anointed. God has got good things for you. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you need to receive this into your heart, into your spirits, and not believe the trash that's been spoken over you. You may say, well, my gifts aren't as prominent as everybody else's gifts. That's cool. We don't want everybody on this stage or become a little bit like a rotation sort of thing. But there's huge gifts and around the life of the church. There's some people who are gifted in business. Some people who are gifted in teaching, serving, encouraging, caring, helping, building, demolishing. I'm a good one at demolishing things. Honestly, I really, I'm not talking about in the spiritual sense. I just love nothing more than getting a lump hammer and smashing the living daylights out of something. Love it. Ask me, Dad. I'm brilliant. Then I think, Dad, will you come and help us to build it? But uh, some people are great at relating, creating, entertaining, writing. You have great gifts. Each one of you has been given a gift. But the Bible's very, very clear. I believe it's there on purpose because Paul tells a, almost a story, but he's making a point. He's saying, listen, listen to me. It's, the church is almost like a body. And there's some of you who are saying to yourself, well, my gift's not really that prominent. It's not on the stage. I'm, I'm not speaking out. I'm not a musician. I'm not really seen. And I've got a lower gift, a lesser gift. And it really doesn't matter if I'm around. And it's of no consequence. And if I wasn't here, it wouldn't make an ounce of a difference. Nobody would miss me. And Paul says, listen to me, stop that nonsense. That's basically what he's saying, stop that nonsense. Because actually it's the smaller things that we think are irrelevant are the most important things. And some of you are saying to yourself, well, what do I do in the life of the church? I make cups of tea. Let me tell you, when I am partial at the end of this message, the one thing I do need is a cup of tea. 
Not that you're here just for my beck and call. I don't want you to misinterpret that. Again, I said this morning, there's one guy, I didn't mention his name, but every time I preach, he did it again this morning. I walked straight down into the, into the coffee shop because I just want to get around some people and straight away, it's, there's, your, there's your cup of tea. He, he does it every single time. He is such a blessing to me, this guy. We've got other guys who, who, who are on car park. Andy, you, you know, your team that you've got here, they're amazing. You guys who serve on the car park, you're amazing. Got one out there tonight, Carl, on the car park cleaning the rubbish. I just said to Caroline's with Jeremy, I said, there he is, look, clearing up the rubbish, making it look presentable. Some of you ladies, you're making cups of teas, you're cleaning the floors. Leslie, if I can say, you know, cleaning around. Thank you so much. Guys who are leading small groups, kids' church out there, that is a thankless task out there. They're never in the meeting. They don't hear a lot of the ministry. They're sometimes dealing with your, I'm going to say it as it is, pesky kids at times. They've got it on them. And mine are in there as well. When they've got it on them, they've got it on them. Claire's nodding. When the kids have got it on them, they've got it on them, haven't they? When they're a bit tired and none of them are pesky actually, they love because I've just they're all lovely. But you understand what I mean. When they've got it on them, that's a better phrase. Don't say any of you you haven't got anything to contribute. There's just some things I just feel like I need to lay lay for you. Because some of you are saying to yourself, My contributing is worthless. It is not worthless. It is not worthless. You are so needed here. And we so love you here. We really do. And it's not just these guys who are on the stage. And by the way, we love these guys on the stage. You've done a great job again tonight. And thank you for leading us through. Thank you for coming over on Sunday nights and just giving your best, getting here early. But we want everybody contributing. Because every one of us have been uniquely purposed. The problem is many of us live out of competition and comparison. We say to ourselves, well, my gift's not as important. Therefore, I need to get where I, where I become more prominent. And I want to say people who are not graced to be in the area of ministry, it's uncomfortable when you watch somebody who's not in their grace zone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's so uncomfortable. You know, you've got guys who are not meant to be leading churches. And what I mean by that, they don't carry the pastor's heart leading churches, and it's awful. What they're doing is they're just leading businesses. They're treating it like a business. And I want to say, there's no grace on them. And everybody looking on, you can see it. We want people living out of a grace. Every one of us has a grace. Every one of us has been given a gift. We want you to use it in Jesus' name. Oscar Wilde says this, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Be yourself. His desire is that you would find your passion and your purpose. As I look around, there are people who have now found the passion and living out a sense of purpose. I look around this room and people who are beginning to find your passion. All I will say is this, Paul and Les, just a real passion for small groups. I love it. Living out a sense of purpose. And we just want to keep bringing you know, fuel to you, the wind on your back to just do what God's put in your heart to do. There are some of you guys here who do lead worship. 
and it comes out of a sense of passion. You're not performing. I know that. You're worshiping and you love it. And we can tell you love it because you're smiling and you're enjoying it. And it's infectious. And we love it. Yes? Yeah. There are some of you who function on the doors, welcoming Tina. You don't just do it out of a sense. There's a warm smile. There's a, there's a, there's a kindness in your heart. Wonderful to see. I'm, there's more to you than that. But what I'm saying to you is there's a sense of passion. I'm glad to be doing it. And we just love it. Please keep doing it in Jesus' name. Keep, please keep giving your grace to the church and it will make a difference. There are people who are coming on the way to us. There are people who are going to be joining this church. There are people who are going to find Jesus in this church. And you're going to be the instrument that God's going to use. It ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be Phil. It ain't going to be these worship. It's that kind word. It's that connection. And God is going to use you. Very quickly, thirdly, I said there were three questions. Who am I? What am I meant to do? Thirdly. Can I live happily and fulfilled? That's a massive question. Can we? Because the world tells us we can't. The world actually tells us we cannot be happy. We can't, they say to us, we can't be happy without lots of sex. There's adults here, so we're okay. That's what the world tells us, the media. The more sex you have, the happier you're going to become. Really? And then he goes on to say, actually, the more thrill and adventure you have, the, 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 more, the happier you're going to be. So people work that out in us. I'll have a mistress here and I'll have, I'll have an affair here. And yeah, I'm just being honest here. And then they say to us, the world says to us, no, actually, what you need to do is you need to gather as much money as you can because that's where the root of, of happiness and fulfillment is, is where it is. Really? I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, television. I've caught a few of them at times about lottery winners who've had millions and then lost millions and they're the most unhappiest they've ever been. I mean, this, this is an upside-down world in which we live in. Please do not listen to the, what the world and the culture tells you. It's nonsense. Because they'll say that is the route to happiness. That is the route to unhappiness. Listen to me. If you hear nothing else, those things are the route to unhappiness and being unfulfilled. So let me ask the question again. Can I live happily and fulfilled? The answer is yes. But it's in Christ. Because it goes on to say, Ephesians 1, long before we both heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. <laughs> he had his eye on us and he had designs on us for glorious living. In other words, it's, Paul is saying, this, this great God, this God of all creation, he had his eyes on us. He called us, he called us out. He said who we were. He said, you, there's a purpose. I know what I want you to do. And then his eye on us was not just to coast through life, but he was meant for glorious living. This purpose, this discovering your purpose, was uniquely blessed. God wants to bless your life. And this blessing is not about money. This blessing is about happiness. The root word of that Greek word is happiness. True contentment. True fulfillment. Are you hearing me tonight? That's what God wants and designs for you. I was just... As I was preparing this, just putting some added touches to it yesterday, I was in a context where there was just, we had just had the two children with us. We've got four children, those who know us, and the two younger ones were with us. And I was watching them do something, and, and I saw them. And the father's eye was on them. And I was just dreaming up ways in my mind 
how can I bless these kids today? I want to do something nice for them. Nice doesn't always need money. It's something they enjoy doing. Because I had designs on them for glorious life in that moment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I just saw them. I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I want to bless them. My heart, the father's heart was full of. And I watched them with other kids. And, you know, there's a thing with a basketball and one taking it from the other. And I just watched. I thought, I don't need to intervene. They need to sort themselves out. Because there's times, you see, when we need to intervene. And there's times when we need to draw back and say, you know, this will be part of your growing up. You know, times when God doesn't answer prayer how we want them to answer. It's not that he's left us. He's wanting us to grow up. I've realized that with my own kids. There's times when I need to intervene. Because actually they're facing a big bully who's bigger than them. So I need to come in with my size 11s and sort it out. Particularly when the bigger kids are getting onto the littler kids. Yes? But there's also times when I need to just step back and just say, you're big enough to sort this out. This will be part of your growing up. But the point is, the Father's eye is on them, his designs on them for glorious living. That's the same with our Father in heaven. He looks upon us. He thinks, you know what? I so want to bless these guys. I've got a grand design for them. It's unique blessing. Not only are they uniquely purposed, not are they uniquely chosen, but they are uniquely blessed. I want to pour out blessing upon them. I want to pour out blessing upon you. I want to help you. I want to strengthen you. I want to be everything to you. Are you hearing me tonight? This is the heart of God. This is his heart towards us. So God has designs Upon us. And Jeremiah 29, as we just come to a close, it says this, verse 11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, the thief's purpose in John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's my purpose. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. We want you. We want to help you to discover your purpose. And if I can say this, on our third week of our growth track, I know it's in Ilkeston, and the idea is we're going to create them here. We're going to be doing them here. That's, that's where, we, where, where we want to go with them. But in the first instance, we just want to just gather everybody there. We understand there's a cost to that because, as in, you've got to get over. There's the morning and then evening because we don't want to go. Everybody in the morning, then nobody comes in the evening. We just need to just go with that. But over the course of the four weeks... We're going to be taking everybody on a journey to know God, to find Him freedom, to discover your purpose. And on that particular third week, we're going to be identifying who you are and what gifts are associated with who you are with the purpose of taking you to the fourth week, which is the next step of releasing you to make a difference 
please consider coming over and being part of that growth track. Please consider signing in and being part of the next four weeks. Because God's heart is to bless us. Let me finish with this. The Lord said to Moses, and he said, this is what I want you to bless. And this is how I want you to bless the Israelites, the people of the day. Say to them, and this is what I want to speak over you as we talk about discovering your purpose. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. I wonder if we bow our heads in prayer.